a Bible this morning, find the book of Philippians, Philippians, and we're going to be in chapter number one, Philippians chapter one. Uh, this morning is actually the sixth week, as I'm going to say this in a funny way, it's the sixth week in a four-part series of messages, that's what we started with, and I just can't stop, uh, but our series, we've simply called it When My World Falls Apart. When My World Falls Apart, it is a series about understanding suffering in this world, uh, it's a series about cancer and uh, divorce and sickness and tragedy when people we love die um, and all of that. There uh, And the question we're asking is quite simply, when our world falls apart, and it will, how will we respond? How will we respond? And uh, the reason that we're talking about this is that we have found that there are countless number of people who used to be in churches who used to be a part of our church here, who are no longer here, and they're no longer in church anywhere. And their story is that when their world fell apart, their faith in God fell apart with it. And so our goal over these past number of weeks is, is really been to build a biblical foundation for suffering and difficult situations and circumstances that we face in this world. If you have an incorrect view of suffering an unbiblical understanding of this, when difficult situations and circumstances come, your faith will be tested. Your faith, and, and many, of, many times we see our faith fall apart because our understanding of God does not make sense in the midst of what we are facing in this situation. And over the past few weeks, we've learned all sorts of things. We've learned mainly that suffering can be good if God is your goal. Uh, we've been studying the words of the Apostle Paul. We can know Christ in a deeper way through our suffering. Our faith can be strengthened through difficult situations and circumstances. We have also learned that God promises to work all things for the good of those who love him and are called uh, according to his purpose to make us more like Jesus. We have learned all of these types of things. See, suffering is the result of sin in this world. God did not author suffering he created a world that was perfect and that was without uh, cancer and without destruction and all of that type of stuff. Sin entered the world through our disobedience as people and suffering came with that. Okay, and so we like, we like as people to ask why. And we have something happen and we say, why is it that my, uh, why does my dad have cancer? Why, why, why? And oftentimes what we're learning is that there are not answers directly to the why in the ways that we are asking. Uh, a lot of times the answer is just the fact that we live in a broken world, a fallen world, and a world that is not the, as God has intended it. Now, next week, we're going to finish this series, maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain. We'll have to see. Uh, but next week, we're going to talk about how to pray in the midst of our sufferings, how to ask God for a miracle. And we're going to ask questions uh, how, like, how do we understand a God who does miracles but doesn't always do miracles? And at least not in the way that we think, you know. And so we're going to just wrestle with that topic a little bit next week. That's, that's what that is. So be, come next week. That'll be a helpful message for us. Okay, here we go. Please stand with me all over this place. And let's start by reading our passage of Scripture together for today. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to start with verse number 12. I could not be more excited about this message, this part of Scripture, as it relates to 
suffering in the Apostle Paul. And so here we go. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. It says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Let's pray. God, we... We just take a deep breath in this moment and invite you into this. We pray that you would help. We pray that you would move. We pray that you would show us things. God, I pray that you would use me. Don't let any part of this be about me. Don't let any part of this be my thoughts and my ideas. But I pray that you and your word would be so clear and so helpful. God, we give this to you and it's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. Let's go. All right, all right, calm down. <laughs> have a seat, have a seat. Uh, question to start with, have you ever noticed how two people can experience the exact same thing but respond very, very different? Do you know what I'm talking about? Let me give you a couple examples, uh, some kind of light ones, and then we'll kind of build it in some other things. Two students can both get a B on a test, and one of them is crazy excited and the other is devastated. How many of you are excited about getting a B? Raise your hand. Okay, we won't ask the other side of that. It'd be weird. Okay, uh, two 16-year-olds two can get behind the wheel of a car all alone for the very first time, and one of them is crazy excited, and the other is scared out of their mind. You know who you are, okay? Uh, you can bring the same plate of vegetables to do different, two, two different people, and they react very different to that. You understand what I'm talking about. I know how I react. Or to take this uh, to a little bit more serious place and to move us along a little bit, like at your workplace, uh, your boss can give feedback to do two different employees, and those employees take that feedback in two completely different ways. And the first one responds all negative and offended, saying, I can't believe they said that. That's so unfair. Who do they think they are? They're, and they're defensive and they're negative. The next person receives the very same feedback in the same situation, and they respond with, wow, thank you so much. For, for helping me along in my journey here. Two people, same situation, very, very different response. See, understand our backgrounds, our experiences, our personalities, our tastes, uh, our likes and dislikes lead to us responding in very different ways to the same situations. And uh, there are psychology and words and different things where we could go into uh, cognitive bias and some other things that I've studied and read a lot on. It's fascinating stuff, but for the sake of time, like let's just, uh, let's just move this to the place where we're going. And that is, the reason we bring this up is that people respond very differently to suffering, don't they? When bad things happen in our lives, uh, we could have very similar things happening to two different families and you see them respond in massively different ways. But here's what we're going to see in the Bible today and here's what I want to help you learn and it's, it's simply this. We can learn to see the goodness of God in every situation. 
You can learn that. You can learn to see suffering through the lens of God is good. And it may take some work, and, and, your, and your background and your experience may fight that and, and want you to think in other directions. But I'm just telling you, from a biblical perspective, it is possible for you to look at your suffering through the lens of the goodness of our God. Now, our, our series of messages, and again, this is the sixth week in this. We have been pounding this topic again and again. But this message, this series has been based on the, the writings of the Apostle Paul, a man who suffered greatly in this world. We've talked uh, so far mostly about his teachings on sufferings. He writes these letters, at least 13 of them in our Bible. And, he, and a lot of his, his letters include teachings of suffering and how to respond and how to think of it and how to view this type of stuff, saying things like, God will work all things for the good who those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul teaches these people about this topic through his writings, how to respond. But today I want us to look at something that Paul wrote that actually shows how he personally responded to suffering in his life. And at first, it can just kind of seem like uh, a passing few comments in a way, but when you dive a little deeper into his situation, these comments stand out as something more. Let me set it up like this before we ever get to Philippians here that we read a few moments ago. Paul had traveled throughout the Roman Empire uh, hundreds of miles, in three or possibly even four what we call missionary journeys. And he had traveled by foot with a group and walked and he would stop in these big cities and he would tell the people about Jesus. He would often start a church in these places and then he would leave and go to the next one. Uh, like this was, this was his gig. This is what he did. Incredible things happened along the way. Supernatural things one after another, but also horrible things happened in the story of Paul. Paul saw firsthand as God did incredible things, but then he's beaten and almost dies. He's drug out of the city and, you know, all this, he's shipwrecked and all the list of all of this. It's the story of Paul's life as a follower of Jesus. But throughout all of his travel, and you see this in his writings, he has a goal, and that is to someday go to the very heart of the Roman Empire, the city of Rome itself. It's, it's, his, it's his goal, and he wants to go there at some point, but in his words, God just doesn't let him go for some reason. And so this is what he wants. In fact, let me, uh, let me show you one place where he writes this. This is the letter. It's, it's called the Book of Romans, uh, and Paul writes to this Christian community that's in Rome. Paul's never been there at this point, and he's writing to them, and this is the words that he writes. In, in, uh, he writes this in Romans chapter 1. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how, I, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all the times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, 
That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. It's this letter that he writes expressing this strong desire for him to come see them, to meet them, to come tell them more about Jesus and to, be encur- and to encourage each other. He's never met these people. He's never been there. But again, Paul carries with him this massive desire to someday go to Rome. The center of it all, the Roman Empire right there. Now, that that letter was written, the book of Romans, was written somewhere between A.D. 57 and A.D. 59. So we're looking at 20 to 30 years after Jesus, and he writes that letter right there. Well, A.D. 62, that's three to five years later from when he writes this, he writes a different letter, the letter of Philippians. And it's what we read from earlier. This letter of Philippians was written from Rome. Paul gets there. Paul's in Rome now, but the situation is not the way that he thought it would look. It's not uh, what he expected. And so let's, I want to read this to you again, the beginning of this letter of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. This is where we started. He writes this now. Now I want you to know Brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me, uh, something has happened to Paul. And he's writing about how that thing that happened has actually served to advance the message of the gospel. Well, what is it that has happened to Paul here? What's happened? Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul here is in Rome, but he's in chains. He's in prison. He's in prison in Rome. Well, what happened? Why is Paul in prison? Well, the last few chapters of a book called Acts uh, in the New Testament tells us the story of what happens with Paul. Uh, After all of this travel and stuff that Paul had been doing, hundreds of miles over a decade or more of time, uh, Paul returns to Jerusalem where the Jewish leaders see him. And the Jewish leaders kind of freak out. And the story says that they begin to stir up this crowd of people against Paul. Uh, We saw this same thing happen with Jesus, by the way. The religious leaders rally the crowd against him in this way. Well, they grab Paul, and the story says that they were in the process of trying to kill him. In Jerusalem, they're trying to kill Paul when these Roman soldiers step in. And uh, what's going on here? Basically, these Jewish religious leaders don't like that Paul is saying that Jesus is the Messiah. They think this is anti the word of God. And the punishment for speaking against the word of God in their culture, in this Jewish culture, was death. They were going to kill him. Long story short, the Jewish leaders want Paul dead, but the Roman Empire steps in and saves him. They save his life, at least at that point. But Paul is put on trial, skipping ahead, massive sections and lots of parts in the story. They send Paul to Rome in chains. And now remember, it is his dream to go to Rome. He is right, has written, I just want to go to Rome. I hope God lets me go to Rome. And now all of a sudden he is in chains and traveling and arrives in Rome and is put in a Roman prison. This is not the way he thought it would be. Are you with me so far? 
Okay, You can feel the emotion in what's happening. This is not how he thought things would play out. He's in Rome, but he's sitting in a prison cell. And what we know is he's actually chained to a Roman soldier in prison. He's chained there. He's suffering. He's in chains. And uh, Christian tradition actually tells us that, Rome, that, that, that Paul will be executed. They're going to cut his head off in Rome in a year or two. After he writes this, this is AD 62, three to five years after he wrote this letter to Rome, and he's now in prison, and he writes this letter from prison in change to these friends 500 miles away in a city called Philippi. And you know what he could have written? And I think we would have understood. Like he could have written this letter saying, Please pray for me. Like, hey, friends, it's awful. I don't understand why God is allowing this to happen to me. I truly thought God was going to allow me to come see these people, but here I am in chains. I'm hungry. My back hurts. I'm chained to this Roman soldier, and he's not always very nice, and we both need showers. Okay? Like he, uh, after all I have done for God, you'd think he would have shown up by now, but here I am alone and in prison. This is the way he could have written this letter. It's, it's, it's the emotions that I think the, that we would be feeling, that we would be thinking, we would be wrestling with. Why am I suffering? I'm the apostle stinking Paul here. I have done more for God than anyone else. In history, like this is the way, this is who this man is, and he is now in prison. And, but here's what he writes. He writes, I want, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That's crazy that he would write that. We read this stuff and we just think, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Think about this for a minute. Think about the situation that he's in. And the words that he is writing out of that, like, hey guys, it's Paul, I'm in prison. But you know what? This thing, this being in prison, this being chained, all of this stuff that's happening to me, it's actually serving to advance the gospel of Jesus. In fact, I'm chained to a Roman soldier here and I get to preach to this guy an eight hour long sermon every time. And then they switch Roman soldiers. And I get to do it all over again. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. All, all these guards, all these people, everyone around here, the Roman Empire, they all know I'm in prison because of my faith in Jesus. People are talking about it and the news is spreading. Verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Like, and listen, because I'm in prison, because I'm suffering, like other brothers and sisters in faith are becoming more bold, more confident in their faith. They're pro proclaiming the message of Jesus without fear. And you can almost feel the excitement in his voice as he is writing this out from prison. Paul has this incredible ability to just see the goodness of God in the midst of the most horrendous things. It's incredible. In prison, in pain, chained to a soldier, awaiting trial, his future is uncertain. And he writes these letters from prison 
And every one of them talks about the goodness of God and what God is doing in the midst of suffering. Listen, I want to challenge you to look for God's goodness in every situation because it's there. God God didn't bring all of this junk on you. God didn't cause you to have cancer. God didn't like isn't punishing you for whatever else and all of this type, like that's, that's a complicated conversation. We've talked in the past about the reasons for our suffering in different ways, but there is goodness in everything that you face. The goodness of God is there and God is working behind the scenes. You may not see it, you may not feel it, but it's there if we can learn to look for it in everything that we face. And the truth is, like, you will find what you're looking for in that. If you want to see things to be upset about, to be negative about, you want to find things to be critical about, you can find those things. It doesn't take much effort to find those things in our culture. Just go on, like, your social media machine and look at it. Okay? Turn on the news, whatever news you want to watch, and find the negativity and the critical junk that is in our world 24-7. You will drift in that direction. Your eyes will see that stuff, and you will become like the majority of our world. Negative, critical, judgmental, non-productive, a person that picks things apart rather than makes things better. This is the society that we live in, and we're... We're going way outside of even the topic of suffering here. That was just bonus material for you. Okay? But on the other hand, I'm telling you, if you learn to look for the good in this world, and if you look for the goodness of God, if you try and find the best in people and see where God is working and what he is doing, you will see the hand of God in your life and in your situation. It is there. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear where God is working and what God is doing and you look for the goodness of God, you will find it. It's like two different kinds of birds. Don't miss this right here. I like this. You put a hummingbird and a vulture in any sort of territory and they are going to find the same thing every single time. Let me play this out a little bit. The vulture is going to soar over looking and what will it find every single time? dead things. It's what it's going to see. It's what it's going to look for. They're gonna, it's going to find carcasses. Why? Because that's what it's looking for. But you take a hummingbird, and what is a hummingbird going to do? In the same exact field, flying over the same street, the hummingbird is going to fly by the dead stuff and look straight and fly straight towards the sweet thing. That's good right there. It's what you're looking for. And here's why this matters so much, this conversation about suffering. You can't choose what happens to you, but you do have a choice of how you will respond. You have a choice. Your experiences, your past, your junk may be pushing you to see the world through whatever lens, but you can learn to see the goodness of God in every situation. Music team, will you please come? Listen. Listen, at some point, your world is going to fall apart. Something is going to happen. Someone you love is going to die. Someone you love is going to be diagnosed with whatever. There's going to be an accident. 
There's going to be something. And for some of us in this place, you are in the middle of that right now. And for others of you, this is like, this is the worst Mother's Day sermon I've ever heard in my life. You're telling me my world's going to fall apart. Yes, I am. It's going to happen. You can't avoid it. Our world is broken. Our world is full of sin and destruction and evil and all sorts of that type of stuff. When it comes, you have a choice and you can look for darkness and you will find it. You can look for negativity and pity and depression and you will find it. And by the way, that response would be very normal in our culture. It's what most of the world is doing or you can learn to look for the goodness of God to look for the goodness of God. We can see his grace and see him moving and see him working in the midst of our difficulty. God, I pray. I pray that you would help us to begin to view the world the way that Paul did. And in the midst of worst situation we could ever even understand and imagine. Paul is filled with this incredible optimism of God as being glorified and people are learning and growing and the message of Jesus is being preached and proclaimed. And I, be, I may be in the midst of pain and I may be in the midst of prison and chains, but God's goodness is all around me. He is working and he is moving in ways that I cannot see and I cannot understand. And, I, and God, I pray that you would help us to take a step in that direction. That in the midst of our suffering and then in the midst of our situations and our circumstances, God, that we would begin to look for your goodness, that we would learn to choose that and say, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? And, God, and I pray, God, that we would begin to experience your goodness and your grace in supernatural ways. We love you, God. We need you, God. And it's in your name we pray. So maybe you're here today and you have never personally responded to the message of Jesus. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized or if you have been confirmed that's not what this is. There comes a point for every one of us where we need to personally make a decision deep down of how we are going to respond to what God did. See, the Bible says you are a sinner. There is no one righteous, not even one, and the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God sent Jesus to make a way, and if you will put your trust in Him, if you will put your faith in Jesus, you can be saved. That's the word that the Bible uses. You can be forgiven and you can be free, and with no one looking around, just a moment of privacy and reflection if you're here today, and you would just simply say, I, I have never responded personally to the message of Jesus. And I want to do that today. If that's you, just quickly show me your hand. I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. If you're watching this behind a screen right now, you can respond to this as well. It's, it's a heart moment between you and God. But anyone else, for just a moment, you can put your hands down. 
Church, let's pray together. Everyone in this place, just pray this. Pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray, amen. Come on, will you put your hands together and let's just celebrate what God is doing. Just one, one last moment together today. I want us to pray for our families. And so if you are here and you are standing next to a spouse or a parent or a child, will you just kind of put an arm around them, hold a hand, do something here. And we're just going to be together for a moment just as we pray. God, we come to you today and we pray for our families. We pray for the moms and the grandmas and the children. And God, for all that we have, we are grateful. And our desire is to give you glory and to worship you with our very lives. But Lord, I pray for every family in this place that you would bless us, that you would keep us, that you would move in hearts and, and in situations. And God, we truly love you and need you and we pray for your blessing. God, God, your favor to rest on us. We love you, Lord, and it's in the beautiful, life-changing name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen.